Amen. This morning I want to look at probably, probably the most famous story in the Bible. And it's the story of David and Goliath and, and, and uh, David the giant slayer. I know there was a movie a few years back, Jack, with Jack and the Beanstalk, I think. I always think about that story. I don't know why whenever I think about David and Goliath, Jack and the Beanstalk. And I know they had a, a movie that I don't think I've seen, but I know it was on there, Jack the Giant Slayer, I think. So I don't know. Anyway, it's the boy and the giant and the shepherd and the warrior, whatever, so many names given to it. And I almost, and I must confess, and I was telling Barbara this early morning, uh, I, I almost passed over this section because I was reading through the book of Samuel in my devotions through the week of, uh, and I almost passed over it because, you know, in my mind, I was like, everybody knows the story. Who does not know? I mean, you don't have to be a Christian to know the story because you've probably heard it a million times, especially if you've been in church and kids' church and everything else. You've probably dressed up like David, too. I don't know. I remember at one of our, uh, I, I used to be a youth pastor at one point of time, and I used to make my kids do crazy stuff. I didn't do it. I made them do it. And so we got them all dressed up in toilet paper at one time with the best armor possible. And then we threw water-filled balloons on them. And the person who finally got totally wet lost the game or whatever. I don't know. Everybody loves war and warriors and everything else. And, you know, somehow I was like, everybody knows the story. And I went past it, but God really brought conviction, if you want to say. He really convicted me because... I really feel somebody needs to hear that story again. Amen. Someone needs to be reminded yes. of that story today. Once again, whether you're here, whether you're watching online. So I trust that you'll open your hearts and minds and allow the Holy Spirit to work because Goliaths must fall. Amen. It's a video series that we did as a men's group, but it's so true. Goliaths must David was a young man, probably most scholars, historians say he was probably 17, 18, 19, somewhere in that early, I mean, not yet, but towards the end of his teenage years, he was a young boy, young lad, if you want to call him that, and Goliath was a trained warrior and a giant. But the irony of the story is that it was David who was really the giant and Goliath who was the kid. Before we get into the passage, which is in 1 Samuel chapter 17, and we're going to look through several verses in this, uh, in this chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you have your Bibles, turn with me and keep, uh, uh, keep your Bibles open and stay with it, or you can watch on the screen as we keep going through different verses in, uh, in this chapter. And it's funny because as I was thinking, I, like, I've taught it to kids, I've taught it to literally babies, if, I think I've told the story through every age group. Familiar story. But before we look into the main chapter on David and Goliath, I think we need to draw attention to probably one of the most important verses in David's life. In chapter 16 and verse 7, just one chapter before this, verse 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. For the Lord does not look at the things people look at. 
Because people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And the truth is, we are so, uh, lack of another word, so our propensity to do this same exact thing is so true. Because very often we look at the outside and are so impressed by what we see on the outside. Rarely do we take time to look. At what's on the inside. And if we are honest again. Like I said. We do it quite a lot. Because that's the standard by which the world operates nowadays. That's the standard by which the world measures. A man or a woman. And we easily fall into that mindset. And and even as we come to today's passage. We will see that principle apply in this passage itself. Because you see Goliath who is outwardly really impressive. But then you see David, on the other hand, who didn't look very impressive, probably stinking of sheep. Goliath is great on the outside, but God is always impressed with David's heart. Always was a man after God's own heart. And so in the story, we find again a reminder not to be so easily impressed or taken up or caught up with outward appearances. And in a world where selfies dominate everything that we see online nowadays, right? What's it about? What does it emphasize? The selfie emphasizes what? The outward self all the time. Anyway, the two main characters in this story, we know David and Goliath. And of course, we have a minor character in King Saul in this whole chapter. And so follow along with me as we go here. Verse, uh, verse 1, now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched their camp. At Ephes, Damim, between Soko and Azekah. Verse 2, Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle lines to meet the Philistines. Now again, uh, valley of Elah, we got to think about it more in terms of a canyon, okay? Not, some scholars say some of those places are easily a mile wide, okay? So you have the two slopes, pretty steep slopes on either side, and then you have this a uh, big, like I said, valley, but more like a flat land, like a canyon, and pretty, pretty normal back in that day. A slope on each side, the river in between, the Israelites on one, ta- on one side here, and the Philistines on the other side. And now here comes Goliath in verse 4. A champion, okay, the point is he's proved and tested. He is a champion. He's not someone who looks, okay? He just doesn't look the part. He's proved and tested. Yeah. A champion, Named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. Now, we don't measure six cubits and a span, but uh, to be more precise, nine foot nine inches. Just short of ten feet, okay? So let's say just call him ten feet. And that's pretty impressive. Um, I don't know how many of you remember Yao Ming from the Houston Rockets. I used to love the Rockets even when I was back in India. He's seven foot six, the center for the Houston Rockets, and we went to watch him play one time when, when Seattle had a team called the Seattle Sonics. But <laughs> and so we went for the game, and after the game, I was like, yeah, let me get close. So I went down all the way, and then he walked by, and he, I'm almost six foot tall, so I'm, you know, above average. 
but you look at seven foot six, and I'm like, man, he's tall. You really feel short in front of him. And so imagine that. I don't know how tall David was, but imagine David wasn't much taller than five foot nine or whatever, if you take an average. But you have this guy who is almost 10 feet tall. He's standing above him five feet. Good grief, five feet taller. I don't know, he came up to his waist, I guess. I don't know. He had a bronze helmet on his head, it says, and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. Now that's royal armor. We know if you've seen the pictures, all the way from the shoulders, all the way down to its knees, basically, or just above the knees. And, you know, it basically provides protection against anything to the vitals on your body. And uh, what did you say? 5,000 shekels is almost 175 to 200 pounds. Okay, so that's pretty decent. That's more than I can bench. No, I won't say that. <laughs> yeah, I have done that. I have back in the heyday. But it's always fun to say, you know, back in the day, walk to school in the snow. But because no one could challenge your back in the day story. Anyway, let's go. His armor is 175 to 200 pounds. So that's pretty impressive. Okay, so he's got this bronze helmet on, wearing heavy armor. And now, verse 6, on his legs, he wore bronze greaves. Okay, greaves. I don't know how you pronounce it, but whatever. It protects your shins, basically, so you can't knock your shins out. And a bronze javelin was slung on his back. Now, that bronze javelin is technically the extra weapon. And then number seven, verse 7, verse 7, his spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. Now that's 20 to 25 pounds. Just the head, okay, of that spear. Pretty deadly. And his shield bearer went ahead of him. The shield was probably around six foot tall, and he had someone holding it in front of him. I don't know. Uh, having that job kind of, you know, protect me all the way. Just hide it at the bottom. But I don't know. Like I said, it's just a story you're all familiar with. Rehearsed in my head a million times probably. But here you have this monster, basically. This beast of a man in full armor, you know, packing to the gill, I guess. Quite intimidating, to say the least. And this is what he does in verse 8. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Got that wrong, did he? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Now what's happening is pretty common back in those days. You know, you'd have one, a champion from one side and the other side chooses a champion to compete. And whoever won implied that the whole army won, right? And so then you became subjects to the other army. And, and if you lost, that means you lost. The whole battle was decided on this fight between champions. It's a one-on-one fight. In verse 10, the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Dismayed because they didn't want a one-on-one battle and terrified because they knew they couldn't win. Now Goliath didn't just make this challenge once. It says in verse 16, he did this for 40 days. Verse 16 says, for 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. For 40 days. 
just a side note here, and like I said, we're just going to glean principles through this, through this passage, because we all do face giants in our lives at some point or the other, and the truth is this, they don't come wearing heavy armor and packing to the gill, armed to the teeth. Here's the thing, the giants in your life, when they come, they don't just come once. They come morning and night, it says, day after day. Purpose is one thing alone, intimidating you. Whether it be a person or a situation or a habit, something that challenges you day and night is a giant. Something that makes you feel weak, vulnerable, too weak to stand up is a giant. Yes. Playing and preying on your fear and your worry and your misery. That's a giant for you. Now on the other side you have David. He's a shepherd. But by now we know in chapter 16 he's been anointed to be the next king. But he's back watching his sheep. Watching sheep in the countryside. Not sure. I'm not sure he knew that Goliath existed or anything of that sort. You know, we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But it does tell us that he had three elder brothers who were in battle. And Jesse, David's father, was beginning to get worried about their, or anxious about his older boys. And so what does he do? He sends for David. Hey, David, come on here. I need you to go. Takes this bag of snacks, I guess, you know. Uh, take some snacks to your brothers, you know, and a small little gift for the commander or their commander, platoon leader, whatever you want to call it that. Just a sign of appreciation, but also let them know, hey, we're concerned, we're praying for you, whatever. You get what I'm saying, a care package going that way. Yeah. Now remember this, and we got to remember, David is not going to fight. He's just going to give them a package. Now the day started like any other day, like I said. David didn't know, did not plan on meeting Goliath. Same thing with us. We don't plan on meeting Goliath very often, but Goliath comes our way. Unexpectedly, when you least expect it, right? David gets up early morning, leaves the sheep under probably one of the servants that they had or friends, whoever were watching over there. And I can imagine he was a little excited, you know, to go to the front lines to check out what's happening. He arrives, you know, and you can picture him. He's looking, you see the Philistines on one side, and you see the battle lines drawn, formations, whatever, however they arrange. You have the Philistines and the Israelites on the other stuff. And so what does he do? He leaves his stuff with the keeper of the supplies. And then he runs to the forward lines, if you want to call it that, to find his brothers. Verse 23, 17 verse 23. It says, as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. This is where it starts to get different, because now David hears it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, what did they do? They all fled from him in great fear. Now David has never seen a guy like this before, and you, you got to picture this, because I, uh, I always get a chuckle out of this imagery, you know, because uh, in my head, again, like I said, I've known this story since I was a kid, and so in my head, I'm thinking about a cartoon, David is talking to his brothers, all of a sudden Goliath comes in, and he turns around to see this ugly dude, and by the time he looks back, everybody's gone. Like, you know, that puff, puff, smoke, cloud, whatever. They all disappeared, and he's standing there all alone, trying to look for people. Hey, what's happening, guys? Who is this guy? And undoubtedly, undoubtedly, the Bible tells us he's kind of mad at what's happening. Verse 26, David asked the men standing near him, 
what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? No one is supposed to talk to our God that way, guys. Why are you running? Why are you hiding? The reason we run and hide and they were running and hide is because sometimes we focus our eyes on the big giant and not on the bigger God we have Amen. on our side. Amen. We tend to forget how much bigger our God is and that's when fear grips our lives. Instead of standing there on God's word and saying, you know, that's a verse, greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. We'd run and hide. And don't get me wrong, church. Fear is not always a bad thing. But when fear paralyzes you to not accomplish what God has called you to do, that's the wrong fear to have. That's right. Amen. Amen. Come back to that. But this is the 40th time that Goliath is coming back and making his shouting and everything else. But this is the first time that David is hearing it and experiencing it. And the 41st time that Goliath steps out would be his last time he would step out. You see David's response, but he also needs to realize in the story that King Saul had an incentive going on. Has an incentive plan in place. You got to think about it because Saul is technically the most qualified man to take on a giant. He is basically head and shoulders above everybody else in Israel, a foot taller than anybody else in the whole nation. But he is not able to go out, or not, not able, not willing to go out to face the giant. Simple reason, because he knows he's not walking with God. And so he has an incentive plan for someone else. What's the incentive? Basically summarizing it, he'll give them a lot of money, give them the daughter in marriage, and again, I always say, I'm not sure that's the best thing in the world, but no more taxes for the guy and the rest of his family for the rest of his life. So that's his incentive plan, and I really, I really believe David wasn't so motivated by the stuff he was going to get. Of stuff he was promised because I think he was motivated by his passion for Christ, uh, not Christ, for God. That's what motivated David. And it didn't matter to David how big, again, how big Goliath was because he wasn't impressed by the size of Goliath, the armor of Goliath, or the weapons Goliath had. Because it's simple I don't care who you are, how you dress, and what you drive. How dare you talk about my God this way? That's what motivated uh, David. But the difference, again, we see is pretty clear between David and the rest of the Israelites. The people had learned to live with Goliath's defiance. The people were able or had got used to it. But the truth is this, and unfortunately, there are many of us Christians who have got used to tolerating giants in our life. But we're never supposed to and never called to tolerate giants or Goliaths in our lives because all they do is to make us run and hide and live in fear. We kind of think, you know, I'll be here on my side. He's on that side of the valley. He isn't coming on my side. Just why upset things? You know, let's just let it be. We just ignore the guy for a while. We have this false sense of security and fool ourselves into thinking that Goliath's going to disappear after some time. He's going to get bored and walk away. Think with me, what would have happened if David hadn't stood up to fight Goliath? 
I don't know, the Bible doesn't say so, but I would imagine he's not just going to stand there. And that's the truth. Goliath isn't going to stand there. He's going to keep taking a step closer and closer to you. Going to make your life miserable. Yeah. You keep running, you will keep running. Because he's not going to stay on his side forever. He's going to get bolder and bolder and keep moving towards you. We are not supposed to live with or tolerate Goliaths. We are supposed to stand up and fight in the name of the Lord. Amen. We can't avoid them. Not try to avoid them. Thinking, thinking we're living victorious Christian lives because, you know, he's on that side of the mountain, you know, or that side of the valley. That's so a false, such a false sense of security. Yeah. And honestly, you know, the number of people and you and me, you know, if you avoid it long enough, it'll go away. That's just a lie. Goliath, you have to stand up and face the giant. David is talking back in defiance once he hears Goliath. Again, I'm sure I'm, most of you or some of you have experienced this. When you decide to take a stand, you know, the resistance comes from those closest to you very often. In this case, of course, it's David's brothers. And you see their response in 28. In verse 28. Verse 28, it says, Eliab. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with ang anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know, I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Again, remember, Eliab is the one that Samuel was impressed with, and God had to correct Samuel and say, Hey, no, this is not him. And God chose an anointed David right in front of Eliab, and I can imagine why he's upset, right? I don't think Eliab has forgotten that. That was just in the previous chapter. We don't know how much time has passed. Because he's mad at David, and of course he is trying his best to humiliate David and kind of put David in his place. Where are those few sheep you are in charge of? And then he goes on to say, I know how conceited you are and how wicked you're hearted. And it's kind of interesting because I think it was Eliab who was conceited and wicked, actually. But yet he's able to point out and project his own faults on someone else. But I love what David's response is. He kind of ignores the question, doesn't answer him. Where are these few sheep? He doesn't even bother answering. Doesn't try and attempt to answer his brother. Verse 29, it says, uh, what have I done, said, da uh, said David? Can't I even speak? Can I even speak? Verse 30. He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. What's the matter? Who is this guy? You kind of have to be impressed with David because he knows how to pick the real battle. He knows how to pick his battle. He's not going to waste his time fighting his own brothers when the real enemy, Goliath, is standing there in defiance of God. Yeah. Think about it because there's the other lesson. How often do we waste our time and effort fighting the small things when they only serve as a distraction from the bigger task to which God has called us. Yeah. We spend so much time and energy fighting within sometimes churches, right? With all the politics and everything else within churches, waste time, waste energy on stuff within and forget that God has called us to seek and save the lost like he has. We don't do the saving. We don't, you know what I'm talking about right here. And God has called us to make disciples of all nations. We are more caught up fighting our small battles, petty battles very often. It's all about egos here, you know. 
And I, I think we need to be careful. Because to be honest, there are enough issues within to keep us busy for our entire lifetime. We've got to be very conscious and deliberate and intentional about realizing that God has called us to those outside more than just focusing on what's on the inside. Anyway, David focuses on the main issue. And then, of course, as he's talking like that, it draws the attention of King Saul. And King Saul tells David, basically calls or sends for David in verse 32. You see what happens in verse 32? David says to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Verse 33, Saul replies, you are not able to go against, sorry, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man and he has been a warrior from his youth. Once again, you see the principle we read in 6-7. Man is impressed on the outward appearance, right? You can't go and fight him. You're a kid. He's been a warrior since he was a boy. Once again, you see, like I said, Saul, like the rest of the men, focused on the problem again, the big problem in front of him, rather than looking beyond the bigger God that he serves. But David got his perspective right. Yes, he's almost 10 feet tall, but that's nothing. Because I was watching over uh, over my sheep, and guess what? A lion and a bear attacked, and I took care of them. Verse 36, your servant killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will, like, will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Verse 37, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Yes. Saul definitely didn't have the right perspective, but David had the right perspective. Someone said, many times in our lives we forget what we ought to remember and remember what we ought to forget. We remember our defeats, we remember our failures and forget the victories that the Lord has given us. Let me put it this way, because I think the devil and people are, are quick to remind us of our defeats and our failures. Remind us of that and forget the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God in our lives in the past. The devil loves to mess with our minds and show you, loves to mess with your mind. Show you your weaknesses rather than get you to focus on God's strength working in you in that weakness. It's that feeling that you will never be good enough. Truth is, you will never be good enough. That's just the truth. You will never be good enough as a husband, as a wife, as a parent, as a son, a daughter, even as a pastor. But that feeling of not being good enough is not supposed to get you all down and depressed. It's meant for you to be humble and depend on God more. That's it. Church, we will never be good enough. But that's why we have a gracious Savior who in our weaknesses gives us strength. Church, let me encourage you today. Do not focus on you not being good enough part. Focus on God who is more than enough for you. More than enough for you. You got to hear what David, again, back to the story. You got to hear what David is saying here because he does have the right perspective. He's saying the only reason I can beat this giant is because God has proved himself faithful in my life in the past. 
It wasn't complicated for David. God came through for me in the past and he will do it again for me. It wasn't complicated for him. We talked about this Wednesday night too. You know, he's the same God. He's the same unchanging God. It wasn't, again, let me say this, it wasn't complicated. We complicated. We overthink it. If God was faithful in the past, he is faithful in now and will be faithful in the future too. He took care of me in the past. He will take care of me now and he will take care of me in the future too. It's so easy to forget and I'll be honest, I've been guilty of this too because sometimes when we go through a hard time and the situation, you know, it seems there's no way out and then you know, we've all experienced that. There's no way out. I've been there. But God came through for me in the past. It had to be God because I couldn't have done it on my own. I've had that experience with God. But then now I face another impossible situation for somehow I forget that God took care of me in the past. And start to worry and get anxious and stress out. When we face another impossible situation, another Goliath in, in, our, in our lives, let's remember... He can roar and everything else and shout and defy everything, question everything, put doubt in your mind and everything else. Don't be intimidated by him because look at God's faithfulness in your own life. If he was faithful in the past, he will do it again. He will do it again. And look at David. He stands there just totally unintimidated. Kind of like, let me at him. You know, God protected me from the bear. God protected me from the lion. Just he helped me defeat that. He'll help me defeat this giant too. So Saul says to him, go, verse 37, go and the Lord be with you. I always laugh at this point again. This comment of King Saul, because it kind of reflects a lot of Christians today, you know. They don't have a real relationship with God, but they say the right things. God bless you, brother. Yeah. We'll pray for it, brother. Yeah. Oh, God be with you. Kind of, it's just such a fake right there. He has no real relationship. He's not walking with God, but he says, you know, go. The Lord bless you like he's some saint or something. No, he's not. And so what does Saul do? He puts his own personal armor onto David, dresses him up in his own armor, gives him his sword. And then he says in verse 39, it basically says, David put it all on and David tried to walk. Again, you see the humor in this again. And uh, a couple of years back, I was at Aiden's soccer game and uh, five years old, these kids playing soccer. And one of the kids, I think he had some kind of accident. I didn't bring his shirt and he was wearing his big brother's t-shirt. It was so funny. Because that t-shirt came all the way up to the thing and they put a belt on and he kept, he was tucking his shirt in and worried about his clothes more than playing soccer at that point in time. (laughs) I kind of picture that and as soon as I saw that, I got the story, David in Saul's armor, almost the same thing. You know, this kid, he's trying to pull his shirt up, this thing is falling off and I can imagine that happening to David right there and then. He says, I can't do this. I can't do this. David is wearing Saul's clothes and he basically Coach, it's not going to work this way. That's what he's saying. It's not going to work. There's the point again. We can't fight a battle in someone else's clothes or someone else's weapons. Got to do it on your own. You cannot live a successful and meaningful Christian life based on the experiences someone else had. I can't depend on my mother's spirituality, grandmother, whoever's spirituality here. I've got to have a real experience with Christ. Face to face at the cross on my knees. Yeah. 
and depend on Him and my experience with Him. You have got to experience Christ on your own, church. You have got to have this real, authentic, genuine relationship with Him. Walk with Him. If you really want to overcome the Goliaths in your life, you have got to experience God on your own. Experience Him through spending time in His Word, spending time in His presence, spending time together with His saints. Experience God and grow in your relationship with Him. So David says, I can't wear all this. I'm not used to it. So he takes it off, takes what he's familiar with, his staff basically and his, uh, his slingshot and heads out to meet Goliath. On the way, he picks up five smooth stones and again, goes on for this battle. And I can totally see both sides kind of shaking their heads because they don't, what is happening here? You have like a 120-pound boy and, uh, I don't know, an almost 10-foot giant, right? One's got this big armor and everything else on, and this guy just has a slingshot and a stick, basically. But we know that's how God operates. In the weaknesses, in the finite, he works on our behalf. It's when we are empty, and let me say this, it's when we are empty that he fills us up. There's no other way. Till we come to the end of ourselves, that's when God can really work on our behalf. When we are full of ourselves, there's no room for God to operate in our lives. Once again, like I said, we can picture people looking at the outward appearance right there. You've got this mighty warrior on one hand, and then you have a shepherd boy on the other hand. You have one with a spear and a javelin, and the other one just has a stick and a sling. But we know the end of the story and how God works. Amen? Because God honors, honors our faith. Honored David's faith. I mentioned this a couple of Wednesdays ago when you talk about God being omniscient, knowing everything. He knows the beginning and the end. He knows what you are going through. When we cry out to God, God answers prayer. God answers prayer, but he does it in his way and in his time. But too often God, I mean, too often people doubt God and question their faith, question the goodness of God, question whether God cares of them just because they don't get the answer that they are looking for. Very often, again, just a reminder that there are so many people sometimes who, who, you know, want God to be this person who gives them anything and everything that they ask for. That wouldn't really make him God, would it, if he gave you everything you asked for? Honestly, church, when I say God honors faith, and, and you all know faith is a big part of my life, but when I say God honors faith, please remember And define, we need to remember and define faith properly. We really do. Because many people, you know, Christians, if I can call it them, believe faith is wanting something real bad and then just believing and holding on till you get it. Yes, but that's a very, very small part of faith because faith is trusting God. Faith is trusting that He knows what He is doing, that He knows you and what you need best, even though you don't like it sometimes. Church, that's what faith is all about. It's trusting God when you don't understand what's happening around you and what's happening to you. It's trusting God that he's still working in you. 
You may not understand what's happening around you. You may not understand what's happening to you. But please understand, God is working in you. And that's what faith is about. Trusting that God is working in you. Trusting God when that prayer you have been making isn't answered the way you want it to be answered. Faith is trusting God. Again, that is changing you more. He's interested in changing you more than in changing the situation you are in. Church, there may be a big Goliath with armor and a spear and shield and, and you may just have a slingshot and a stick. It's easy to feel small and inadequate, but that's why we have faith. That's why we need faith and God honors that faith. David takes one stone, sets it in that sling, swings it around and lets it fly and that, sw- that stone hits its intended target and Goliath falls face first into the ground. To David it was pretty simple. You took care of me in the past, he'll take care of me with ne- now. Said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. All those who gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into our hands. That's the faith God honors, church. Because for David, it's simple. You did it in the past, you'll do it again. Because the battle is yours. God. The battle is the Lord's. You try and do battle on your own, you will crash and burn. That's just the truth. You can make it for a little while, but you will crash and burn on your own, even though you've, you know, we've been in church a long time. So many times when situation hits us, we try and fight it on our own. We try to do it and work it on our own. Yes, please understand, you need to fight, but the battle belongs to God because He gives you the strength. It is in His strength that we do battle. It's not your ability that will help you face Goliath or tear Goliath down. Your ability will wear you down. You depend on God's strength. Because the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. And I've used this example. One of the most mind-blowing things since I came to America is power tools. That brings it to me. (laughs) Brings it home to me time and time again. That electric drill... The drill just revolutionized, blew my mind away. Why? You don't have to keep turning. You just squeeze the trigger. You still got to squeeze the trigger. You still got to fight. But the power comes from God. Amen. That's just the truth. By the way, I've graduated from drivers to, a, to an impact driver. Those work so much better now. Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> it blows your mind. But please understand, it's just a simple tool. But it's the same exact thing. You can't just sit on your couch and couch and expect to win. You've got to take a stand against Goliath. Take a stand. Take that step of faith. Stand up against him. Tell him you will go and fight. But then you trust in God for the strength and the power to get that victory. That's it. Put your faith in God, church. Because God honors faith. When you trust in him, he will not let you down. 
That's the truth. He will not let you down when you put your trust in him. But be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even though he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we will not bow down and worship you. You've got to take that stand. Leave the results up to God. You take that stand. Fight the Goliath. Don't get used to Goliaths in your life. Stand up and fight. Trust in him. No matter how big the giant, no matter how big the problem, our God is bigger than that problem. Church, don't overcomplicate it, church. Don't overcomplicate it. For David, it was simple. The battle belongs to God. The battle belongs to God. And even though we mess up or slip up or trip up, he still takes those broken pieces of our lives, puts them together, and we will win in the end. Don't wear yourselves out, church. Don't wear yourselves out trying to do it on your own. Trust in him. That wall is so big, that wall is so wide, you don't know if there's a way around it, you don't know if there's a way over it. Trust in God. Trust in Him. No matter how big the giant, the battle is the Lord's, not yours. You stand up and fight, but you fight in His strength. Because the battle is the Lord's. Facing giants, let me summarize this, conclude. Facing giants is intimidating. No one's going to deny that. Yeah, it is intimidating. Facing giants, but we will all face giants. We will all face giants. When you face a giant, very often you face it alone. I'm not talking, yes, God is there with us. But very often when you face the giant, it's you by yourself because sometimes you can't even open your mouth and share what you're going through with someone else. But even though you may be alone, remember, God will give you the strength, but you have got to stand up and fight. Because no one else can fight your battle for you. No one else can fight your battle for you. And I think as a young person, sometimes we fall into that. And I know I fell into that. You know, call mom. Mom's a great prayer warrior and everything else. Maybe God will answer when she prays. You got to still stand up and fight on your own. It's great to have prayer, people praying for you. It's great to have people knowing. It's confidence when you know someone else is standing with you and praying and interceding battling with you if you want to call it that but you can't go sit on the couch you've got to take a stand stand up and fight and even though it's lonely know God is with you and God will give you the strength you also know that trusting God gives you confidence trusting God gives you the confidence when you spend time on your knees in prayer spend time in God's word you'll be amazed at the confidence you have when you face a Goliath When you spend time, take time, make time, discipline yourselves to spend time on your knees in the presence of God, spend time in His Word, you will be amazed at the confidence you have when you face a giant. Because you're not going to face him on your own because you realize and remember that's the part of the Holy Spirit. What does He do? He brings what I have taught you into remembrance. When? Not when, yeah, maybe when you're sitting and enjoying a day beside a pool. But when you really need it, when you're facing a giant, the Holy Spirit quickens our spirits to hear and remember what God has taught us. But when we spend time in Him, that's where the confidence comes from, church. 
Giants are intimidating. Very often, we fight the giant alone, but God will give us the strength. But trust God. Spend time with him because that gives you confidence. Lastly, winning is a memorable experience. It builds faith. Every giant you destroy in your life builds faith, but make sure to give God the glory. Amen. Every victory, and I believe God will give you victory. Every victory builds your faith. Actually, every failure builds your faith too. Don't keep quiet about it. Testify about God's goodness in that situation. That's what builds our faith. Such a familiar story, church. Yet this morning, I really feel led, and I think it was just confirmed to me earlier, just to give us some time to respond to this message and such a familiar story. Like I said, I've, I've read, reread, read comics, read different versions, everything of the same story, preached the story from probably two years old to people who, whatever. But sometimes we just get used to Goliaths in our life. But Goliaths must fall, church. Amen. You're not called to live. I don't know what the Goliath is in your life. We are called to stand up and fight. And today, I want you to make the decision to stand up and fight. You're not going to run and hide anymore. You're not going to avoid and ignore Goliath and pretend that he's not there and hope that he goes away. Every situation in your life, you've got to stand up and fight. Trust in God. Bow your heads with me at this time. Some of you, like I said, 40 days is a long time. Some of you, it may be years right now. Where you're standing there in defiance and mocking you, mocking your faith, laughing at you and telling you how not good enough you are. Goliaths must fall. I don't know what the Goliath is. I don't know what the giant is. We've heard this story so many times. But let me tell you, it might be that wall that, like I said, is so wide, there's no way around it. It's so high, there's no way over it. But this morning, I want to tell you that the battle belongs to the Lord. Remind you once again, however impossible you think that situation is. Because it's been years, God. Will things change? Don't give up. Keep fighting. Because the battle is the Lord's. Don't allow Goliath to beat you down and push you in a corner and put you in your place. Because God is greater than the biggest problem you have. God is greater than the biggest situation you're going through right now. I don't know, Goliath, addictions, issues you have.
How about the Goliath of unforgiveness? That's a battle. God, you don't know what that person has done to me. Your call to forgive doesn't depend on that person's repentance and feeling sorry. That's a Goliath we don't talk about often. Goliaths must fall, church. So I'll stand up to our feet and worship him and encourage you to go through, reflect the situation that you think is impossible. It's the same thing. That's the giant. Calls you, mocks you, intimidates you, threatens you, defies you, puts doubt in your minds that you are good enough, puts doubt in your mind that you are you never add up to anything. Puts that doubt in your mind, God, did you really tell me to do that, God? You will always face situations that are bigger than you, church. That's why we hold on to God. That's why we trust in Him. That's why we put our faith in Him. A church again, encourage you, you have got to fight that battle. Battle belongs to the Lord, but you have got to stand up and fight. Trust in Him and His power. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you. I trust in you. Lord, I trust in you. Yes, I I'm
you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Let me encourage you again today. To stand up and fight. Just because they said, or someone said, this is just who you are, don't accept that, please. Because you are chosen, you are called by God for a greater purpose what you think you will accomplish. Trust in God, church. Put your faith in Him. Don't settle, if you want to call it that. Yes, Jesus. God, we trust in you this this morning, Lord. That you will work in our lives, oh God, again. As we surrender ourselves to you, Lord, I pray, oh God, that you fight our battles, Lord. You may be tired and you may be worn out, but maybe you're fighting on your own. battle belongs to the Lord, church. Please remember, the battle belongs to the Lord, but you've got to take a stand for trust in Him and rest in Him, too. Hallelujah. Don't buy in, don't believe the lies that Goliath just shouts out. Don't walk in fear, don't live in fear, don't run and hide, church. Goliaths must fall. Work in us, Lord. Work in our hearts, Lord. Thank you, Father, once again. Thank you for a familiar story, God. This is not just a feel-good story, church. Please, let me say, this is not a feel-good story about, you know, the underdog winning. We all love that story. But this is a truth that God wants us to have in our inmost being. This is a truth that we need to grasp in our lives. Yes, we will all face giants. Yes, they are intimidating. Yes, there will be situations that are bigger than us. But we don't fight in our own strength. We fight in God's strength. He is bigger than every problem and every giant you will face. Know that and believe that and choose to trust that today. 
Thank you, God. Whatever situation we're going through, God, we trust in you. Don't quit. Don't quit because it gets hard, church. That's just, I think in, in life and in my experience, sometimes it gets harder before it gets better. But we still hold on to the truth that he is with us. He is fighting your battle, church. I will trust in you. Sing that once again, church, even as we go from here. I will trust. Yes, God. Declare that. It's for you to hear. God, I will trust in you, God. I will trust in you, God. I will trust in you. Even when I seem to be nowhere, God. I will trust in you, God. Even though this it's been years and I don't see the change, I will trust in you, God. Yes, Lord. Yes, God. Yes, Jesus. We praise you. We believe in God. that this truth will just sink and permeate our very being, Lord. Yes, God, that you are with us. You are the same unchanging God and you took care of us in the past and you will, in your way, take care of us now and in the future. Our lives are not just ours to live, God. Our lives are yours. We live it for your glory hear the word of the Lord church as we go from here whoever dwells in the shelter of the most high will rest in the shadow of the almighty I will say of the Lord he is my refuge and my fortress my God in whom I will trust surely he will save you from the fowler snare and from the deadly pestilence he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge his faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your hand, ten thousand at your right hand, 
but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. You will say, the Lord is my refuge, you, and you make the Most High your dwelling. No harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. That's a promise for us as we go from here today. God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. God bless you guys. Amen and amen.